You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. You guys know that Acts 2, the Upper Room outpouring, is our namesake? That, I mean, I just think it's really awesome that the moment that Yahweh wanted to introduce the Holy Spirit into crucified, resurrected vessels was like the greatest party, like the whole city thought that everyone was drunk. Like that, to me, is a really fun God to worship, serve, and be part of. Amen? Uh, When the holy ones gathered in the upper room, the Holy Spirit filled them up, and it was noticed by everyone in town. Like you, you couldn't mistake that there is some sort of crazy party going on, and 3,000 people were added to the party that day, Um, which makes me wonder, like, what if it's our first calling to just enjoy God so much that the world is jealous of the joy that we have? What if our first calling is to enjoy God so much that everyone who sees the way that we live our life, they're wondering what this God is all about and they got to have him too. Like that's, I, I, I don't think that people are looking in at like a, a sad church and thinking, man, I wish I could be part of that crew, right? Like <laughs> they, don't, they don't want to be part of something boring or lame and, and I just think that when we start to experience the Holy Spirit, it's going to be anything but boring and lame. And if you think about like false religions, like when when people gather in devotion to a false god, it's a really dark event. There's usually weird things going on. There's, um, you know, sacrifices. There's some poor goat is not going to have a good night. Like it's just a... You know, when, when every other God wanted our life, our God came along and gave us his. When every fallen deity and evil spirit is trying to get us to sacrifice for him, for them, God came and sacrificed for us. This is, this is love. No one else has this. This is, this is really good news. Instead of us trying to set tables and and do things for these deities, Jesus sets a table for us. We get to feast of his body and drink of the wine of his blood. It's It's just really good. It's really amazing. And he never leaves. We don't have to work to get him here. We don't have to work ourselves up into a frenzy. We don't have to try to conjure up something. We don't have to beg for a God to come because he's already in the room. Like this is really great. He's not like hiding somewhere in the sky. If anything, he's slightly obscured by a lie. And the lie is separation. The the saddest thing that the source of the greatest sadness in the world is believing that we're separated from God and we have to figure out how to get him. All of religion banks on the lie of separation. There's a whole economy to the lie of separation, the do more.
we have this idea sometimes that God isn't near us or wouldn't come near us because of sin. But to think this way, you would have to forget that Jesus is God. Because Jesus would show up and at any random party or any event where people were given to it, whatever kind of sin that they were stuck in, and he, he wouldn't stand at the door and say, you guys are going to have to sacrifice a goat before I come in. He was actually drawn to the darkness. Like he's, he's obsessed with dispelling darkness. He's close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. If we want to really experience God, then we have to really embrace the fact that he wants to come into our darkness because he's not the kind of guy who shouts from outside the prison. He's the guy that sneaks in, holds your hand and shows you how to escape with him. See, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's why he commands so much feasting, because he wants us to worship him with our taste buds. Like, he, he's that good. Like, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't have to create taste buds, right? We could just eat food to sustain our body, and it could just be like a a mechanical type thing, but instead he's like, I know how I'm going to delight my children. I'm going to give them taste buds. I'm going to give them senses. He created the whole world to wow our senses, just like any good mother and father would create a nursery to wow the senses of their newborn that they're about to welcome. He created earth first, And he was thinking while he was creating, oh, they're going to love the way the bark on this tree feels. They're going to love the smell of when the the trees are flowering and the the fruit is growing. They're going to love to feel the breeze go over the backs of their necks. I'm going to give them goosebumps. Yes. I'm going to create nerve endings. I'm going to create chemicals in their brain that react to the sound of my voice. It gets them caught up into ecstasy. This is his fault that we are obsessed with pleasure because in his presence is the fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's his fault. He designed us to be enraptured by these things of his heart. Romans 1.20 says that the invisible attributes of God's glory are clearly seen in creation. Psalm 19.1 says that the heavens declare his glory. St. Francis, are you guys familiar with that saint? He's, one of his most famous quotes, he said, nature is God's first Bible. You can't miss him. So our obsession with pleasure is his fault. To desire God is to desire pleasure. And what people don't know is that when they desire pleasure, they're actually desiring God. John Crowder wrote, if you really want to be a hedonist, you're going to have to go all the way into Jesus. Because every other place is going to fall short. 
One time the Lord told me that he was excited about being enfleshed. The enfleshment, the incarnation, like when all of the Godhead dwelt in bodily form. He was excited about it. And we understand that like, it, was a, it was a humbling thing for him to you know, come down from where he is into this realm with us. Or it's, it's, it's very metaphysical. But anyway, he told me that he is excited about the enfleshment because there's no greater place in the universe to experience God lo- God's love than within a human frame. That when his voice speaks and reverberates through us. It explodes the cedars of Lebanon and twists up the oaks, but somehow our frame can withstand just barely though. You guys have probably been in those moments where you felt the presence of God so much that you thought your atoms were gonna explode, dance around, you were gonna go high five Elijah and come back. Like. <laughs> But sometimes we, we even take joy and we make joy a religious thing, like joy is a tool, but joy is a person. His name is Jesus. And we'll put joy in this box where like joy has to be singing worship songs or, or other spiritual disciplines when really God wants to be invited on your fishing trip. God wants to be included in your family movie night. God wants to go on your road trip with you. God wants to be included in your dinner party. Some of my greatest moments of ecstatic joy in God is when I just acknowledged his presence while I was doing something I already loved. And he's just, it was like he was there just saying, I was just waiting for you to look at me. (laughs) Casey Hahn embodies this. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, Jesus is his homeboy. If he's dove hunting or flying his airplane or doing something, he jumps off my roof into my pool and Jesus is with him. He's like, I am into this. (laughs) Whether you want him to or not. I'll give you an example of what, what I'm trying to say. I, I was in the prayer room just praying up a storm, praying for revival. This is uh, probably seven or eight years ago, just contending for revival and praying it up and praying for God's presence and praying for breakthrough and just, rah. and I heard the Lord just kind of really calmly say, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, I'm obviously praying. <laughs> he said, no, you're not. You're praying for me instead of from me. Beloved, God doesn't want you to do great things for him. He wants you to do great things with him. And I, so I said to the Lord, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm praying. And, he, and he, then he asked me, when are you going to go enjoy the life that I bought you? Paid a really high price, right? Any parent in here ever like, like, you took your kid out to a really expensive like steak dinner or something, and they eat like one bite of the steak, and they're like, "Why didn't we go to Chick Fil A?" <laughs> you're like, Ugh. or like you <laughs> you buy them something and uh, like a bicycle, or you splurge on some gift for them, and it's just like not even what they want, not what they enjoy. Like that's that's frustrating, right? 
Anybody? Just me. Okay, cool. Okay, so, so God paid the highest price to give us the greatest gift, and we are not enjoying it. He wants us to enjoy this life that he bought us. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God and Jesus. He is the river. Sadness is not an atmosphere where faith thrives. I think sadness is a tool of the devil. Sadness wasn't in the original design. Except like even mourning with those who mourn, that's provisional because God never intended mourning, right? But he loves us so much that he taught us how to deal with mourning. But it wasn't, it, wasn't a, it wasn't like it's compatible with our soul, death and loss. We don't know how to deal with it. It freaks us out because we weren't supposed to deal with it. This is a, like he's, we are in a time period in history where many of the things that God has given us are provisional for this time period. But he was not the author of death, loss and mourning. When I'm sad, I, I usually just figure out that I'm believing a lie. Anybody else? Uh, if I'm sad, it means I, I kind of lost sight of the good news or maybe embraced some mediocre news, which is really just bad news dressed up with a little bit of reverence. And I just needed like refocusing. Psalm 51 says, restore to me the joy of salvation. One second, one millisecond, where you feel the Holy Spirit has the power to undo a lifetime of insanity and anxiety. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation, which means that there, the source of our salvation is in the good news of the gospel. And if we have heard about Jesus and it hasn't birthed joy, then we heard a lie. Or we heard a diminished version of the gospel. It's bad news or mediocre news or more striving, trying to save ourselves when he's done everything. See, faith can't be conjured up. Instead of working ourselves up into a frenzy or saying the right prayer to manifest faith, all we have to do is simply see what Jesus has done and rest in his works. Faith looks like rest. Because faith is trust. And if you're resting, that means that you're trusting. I think the number one indicator of faith is joy. Has anyone ever been like super depressed and, or sad and someone gives you the brilliant advice to just try smiling and make yourself happy? <laughs> and it, it's like taking your car to the mechanic to get new brakes and he hands it back to you and says, I couldn't fix your brakes so I made your horn louder. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're not getting to the root here. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, I don't need a louder horn, I need a working braking system. And we can't, so we can't conjure up faith. We can't fake our way into joy. It simply comes from hearing the real message of what Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension means for us. That when he died, all died. And since all have died, then all have been raised. 
And then you can start living from heaven instead of living for heaven. Martin Luther said, you have as much faith as you have laughter. <laughs> See, it's, it's a perspective that like everything's going to be okay. That no matter what, all of creation, including me, we are going to just melt into divine ecstasy for all of eternity. So faith isn't something self-generated. Joy isn't self-generated. It's, it's a gift. Ephesians 2.8, 2 Peter 1.1, Philippians 1.29. See, God sits on high and laughs. No matter what the enemy conjures up, God sits in, on high and laughs. That's Psalm 2. Jesus is God's mind made up about us. Jesus is what God has to say. And he loves the stuffing out of you. He beat up all of our enemies. He disempowered all of our spiritual enemies. The gospel isn't that the father had to kill the son to vent his anger and so now he can tolerate you. That's not the gospel. He's not the type who needs appeasement. He doesn't need to be satisfied because he is satisfied. He's always living from satisfaction. But 1 John 3.8 says the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. Hebrews 2.14 says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You can't control someone who has no fear. We've com been completely set free from the fear of death. Like, the worst thing the enemy can do to you is send you to paradise. What? <laughs> this is like Paul got to this point where he's like, I don't know if it's better for me to stay here or to go home, but I guess I'll stay here because there's fruitful labor for me to do here. But he's, he's like, the veil is getting real thin for him. And he's like, I kind of want to be over here, but I guess I'll stay over here. Like, <laughs> he, he, he got to this place where like, He's probably thinking, if I get stoned one more time, I'm really going to lean in to like that stone that's flying, like, just take me home, Jesus. But at the same time, he's just experiencing the joy of God on this side. Karl Barth, he's a theologian, and he says that theologians who labor without joy are no theologians at all. Sulky faces, morose thoughts, and boring ways of speaking are intolerable in this field. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is our strength. This is in Nehemiah. I think it's chapter 8. Nehemiah. He says, it's time for feasting and drinking. So, like, he actually tells them, we're going to go big. We're going to party. We're going to invest in this party. We're going to set aside great food and great drink because the joy of the Lord is our strength. I'm not going to tell any of you what to do.
But what if instead of fasting in order for breakthrough, we started feasting and enjoying God? What if the key to breakthrough in the world is the world sees how happy and fulfilled Christians are and they got to know more? He is our tangible savior. He doesn't just want to save us eternally. He wants to sozo, which means like to completely make whole our soul. He wants to repair our soul completely so that our mouths are filled with laughter. Psalm 126. He wants our souls to be saved completely now so that our perspective is so hopeful that we appear to be fools. So that our perspective is so hopeful that we look uninformed or ignorant. Like people would look at us and say, how can you be so happy? In Mark 10, Jesus finds this guy named Blind Bartimaeus. His name now is just Bartimaeus because he's no longer blind. And when Jesus is walking through town, blind Bartimaeus starts saying, Son of David, don't pass me by. And his friends are like, dude, you're making a ruckus. It's really embarrassing. I know you can't see, but people are looking at you. Like, <laughs> and he's, he shouts all the more, no matter how they try to quiet him. Son of David, don't pass me by. And Jesus calls him. And the, and the guy, his friends say, you know, take heart. He's calling for you. And so he stands up, throws his cloak aside, and heads over to Jesus. And Jesus says, what is it that you want? So blind Bartimaeus in this moment has Yahweh in the flesh on the hook for whatever he wants. And so Bartimaeus replied and said, Lord, I just want world peace and for all of my family members to know your name. I just want there to be no more violence in the land. Like, no, all those things are great, right? But no, he gets totally selfish, doesn't he? He says, Rabbi, I want to see. Now, blind people don't need, like anyone, we actually don't need our sight. We'll live a diminished life. We, we'll miss out on tons of joy. But blind people, they, they live great lives. They can live a long time. They can experience all kinds of great things. So like, but what I'm saying is you don't need technically your eyeballs. He just wanted his sight. And so Jesus gave him the desire of his heart. What do you think the rest of that man's life looked like? He probably could never shut up about how good Jesus is. He probably had this ridiculous smile on his face everywhere, just looking like, whoa, like colors and birds. And, like, he's the happiest dude ever. And everywhere he goes, he's pointing people to the one who fulfills your desires, yep. not just your needs. He's the desire of the nations. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Who is a tree of life? Jesus is a tree of life. So Jesus is the desire of humanity fulfilled. 
Psalm 103 says that he, des- he satisfies our desires with good things so that our youth is renewed. Psalm 13 says that this hope deferred, oh, I already said that. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So delighting in the Lord is the key to getting more delighting in the Lord. It's it sounds like he's trying to sell us swampland in Florida. Like, this is too good to be true, Jesus. Like, so you're saying that I delight myself in you, and I find that the desires of my heart are fulfilled in that place. When's the last time you just delighted yourself in the Lord? And it, 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 looks, like, it looks like treating your heart really, really well. I have a friend who was a, a Muslim man who met Jesus through crazy spiritual encounters. Um, and he's a brilliant thinker and he knew all about Islam. And now he's, he's been wild about Jesus for, for decades. And, and coming from that perspective, he's got, he has a really special perspective. And one of the things that he'll say when he's teaching is he'll say, Jesus doesn't just live in your heart. Jesus has become your heart. And the way you treat your heart is the way you treat the Lord. A lot of us beat up our hearts like Moses with that staff at that rock. When all of Israel was thirsty, the Lord told Moses, take your staff and go speak to that rock and water will come forth. Moses stands up with his staff and says, hear now all you rebellious people. Shall I now make water come forth from this rock? Bam! Bam! And water comes forth from the rock. But God pulls Moses aside and said, You misrepresented me. You didn't uphold me as holy. Basically, God wanted to feed, like, give his children water to drink. But he stood up there. It made everyone think that God was angry at them. It's a crazy redemptive story, though, even though Moses didn't get to go into the promised land because of that, because he misrepresented God in that moment. The father had a really great plan. In Luke 9, Moses gets pulled out of the great cloud of witnesses and stands on the mountain in front of the promised land himself, Jesus. Jesus literally wants to fulfill our desires. He wants to restore our souls completely so that we are insanely happy. He wants to teach our mouths to sing again and our faces to smile again, not in a fake way. Guys, I, I want you to know something. If I, I've, I'm happier right now than I've ever been in my entire life. And I'm not just talking about like up here, like speaking to you guys. I'm just saying like this, I, I'm happier now than I have ever been. And it has been a long journey back here and beyond it. I remember sitting with a counselor and, and 
And he, he said, what is it that you want? And I, and I said, I'm not as happy as I used to be. And I just started weeping. And it, it was because I had let lie. I started believing lies about me. I started believing lies about the Lord. I got all twisted up into religion and thinking that it was my, my mission and duty to do great things for him instead of with him. Ryan Crowell is famous for saying the, like, the greatest deliverance he's experienced is being delivered of doing something great for God. He'll also tell you that it's really easy. You can get subtly tricked into serving a, a word of God instead of the God of the word. Have you guys ever heard of um, Wycliffe Bible Translators? A friend of mine was part of this, this organization where they, they go to every region of the world and they translate the Bible into the, the native language. And it's a pretty hard thing to do, obviously. And they were having some real trouble in this small tropical uh, climate nation uh, translating um, a lot of the book of John where they're talking about Jesus being the bread because they've never seen bread so like in America or in Western civilization, if you, like you survive on like bread and water and potatoes, if you go to prison, they're going to give you bread and water. But in this country, everything is made out of bananas. And so if you read John chapter 6 in their Bible, it says, Jesus is the banana of life. <laughs> I am the banana who came down from heaven. He who eats of this banana shall live forever and not die. Because Jesus is the guy that fulfills. And he didn't, we didn't need to teach that nation what bread is. That would be completely ridiculous. It'd be so backwards. Like, because then you'd have to be, okay, well, in a land far, far away, there are these people called Hebrews and unleavened bread, not leavened bread. And they're like, no, no. In this country, Jesus is the banana of life that came down from heaven. Because he satisfies us with good things so that our youth is renewed. It would be insanely narcissistic of us if we were missionaries there to think that they need our latest worship album and a copy of you know a purpose driven life in order to enjoy God <laughs> when they have everything they need within them to enjoy Jesus I just believe that in the coming days, drunken glory is going to fall on the church again. The intoxicant is Jesus. The intoxicant is the good news of the gospel. When we're not pressing in and we're just resting in, when we're just believing and knowing that he has done marvelous things for us that no one could ever undo, then you can really start to rest.
Let's pray and ask God to be the restorer of our soul and bring us back to a place or beyond any place we've ever experienced in the realms of joy and pleasure again. Does that sound like a good thing? All right, let's stand together.